what does the next generation of healthcare look like? Are we ready for a complete overhaul? Ready to chuck out the old one because it's broken and start afresh? What opportunities exist to disrupt the system now with virtual models of care and digital platforms and crush the incumbents to transform healthcare? Is that the way we're going to do it? Or maybe we just leave it as it is. I mean, healthcare generally works. Sure, there's probably some bits to clean up around the edges, but maybe that's fine. That's all we need to do. Or maybe there's an in-between. Well, today, I'm going to be exploring these types of ideas and perhaps even nut out a more sensible way forward to find the right mix of care delivery models and ultimately deliver healthcare that's cost-effective and high-quality. I'm chatting with Dr. Ben Schwartz from the US, and in this episode, we'll take a clinician's perspective on innovation in healthcare, and we'll look at the role that big tech and big retail in healthcare plays. Plus, we'll dip our toes in that good old fee-for-service and activity-based funding model question, and lots more too. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Ben Schwartz, a fellowship-trained joint replacement orthopaedic surgeon with over 13 years of experience in private practice. He's also got extensive experience in digital health, serving as Chief Innovation Officer for an early-stage health tech company, Heliant, and he's also had several mentorship positions with incubators, accelerators, and hackathons, including Mass Challenge, Matter Health, and MIT Hacking Medicine. He's also held advisory roles with OsteoApp AI, Quadrant I, and NHatch, Hey, Ben, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? Super duper. Thanks for joining. Yeah, it's good to have you uh, on the podcast and not just in my LinkedIn and Twitter feed. So thank you for doing yeah, My pleasure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, keen to explore a, a broad range of topics. But firstly, for those that don't know you or want to learn a bit more, tell us about you and, and what keeps you busy. Yeah, so I am an orthopedic surgeon. I live in the Boston area in the US, so about 20 miles outside of the city. I still am in full-time clinical practice, so I specialize in hip and knee replacements. I see patients and operate five days a week, and then in my spare time, I dabble in health tech with all those things that you mentioned in the intro, just to keep myself fresh and interested. And yeah, I think there's a lot going on in that space. I think that's where things are headed, and I looked at it and said, let me figure this out and get some experience. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about being a clinician and being involved in health tech, do you think it's out of just interest because it's fun or is it, is it a necessity? Like what, what keeps you in that space? Yeah, there was a couple of things for me. It was always having had an interest in technology ever since I was younger and then obviously having a career in medicine and realizing that technology and, and, and medicine were coming together in health tech. So it was combining two things that I was interested in and just you know, even beyond the technology part of it is the innovation part of it. You know, certainly here in the U.S., there's a lot of concern about healthcare and, and the future of healthcare and how do we integrate technology and, and not just technology, but also innovation. How do we seek out new ways to deliver healthcare that will address the problems that we're seeing and, and really evolve things and make things better? So it's technology, but it's also, I think, innovation and doing things better and differently. You know, I've seen a little bit online about your perspectives on innovation in healthcare when it comes to technology, particularly from a clinician's point of view. And we've talked about it a fair bit on the podcast in the past as well, is that often companies will 
spend a lot of time and effort and money and resources on building solutions in healthcare without ever engaging a clinician. Why do you think that's the case? I think it's a combination of different things. I think healthcare, certainly in the US, is a big area of focus now for a lot of different reasons. And I think there's a lot of people frustrated with the current system for good reason. And I think when you have that sort of situation, you have people that are kind of outside traditional healthcare that see an opportunity to enact change. I think the challenge is that healthcare is a little bit different in that some of the things that we do in healthcare don't necessarily make sense to somebody outside of healthcare that hasn't had frontline clinical experience. It can be a little bit counterintuitive that way, or great ideas that seem great in principle don't necessarily translate to the clinical environment, or you run into issues of who's going to pay for it or who's going to use it. So I think that's the, the challenge. If you don't have or haven't had frontline real-world clinical experience, it may be frustrating to realize your great idea doesn't translate for whatever reason. There's a lot of different reasons that that might be the case. And I think that's why it's important to engage clinicians early in the process, or at least have some sort of real-world frontline healthcare experience. Mm. I've seen it go the other way too, where a clinician who, you know, very much on the front line has experienced a workflow in technology and thought, geez, there's got to be a better way. And so they've gone out and built something quite specific for their particular workflow, whether, you know, in an outpatient setting where they've got that flexibility, they're providing different services, but then they look to then share that with others and it's not relatable for other clinicians. So I guess from a, from a an organization's perspective, they take the view of, well, we can do this in a scalable way. So there's probably both ends of the spectrum. So I've seen many technology created by clinicians that just aren't applicable to more than one clinician. Yeah, it's a challenge in both ways. And even if it is applicable to other clinicians, sometimes it's hard to get other clinicians to see that, understand that, want to adopt it, want to use it. And I certainly run into that in my practice as well, is that probably your average frontline clinician, their experience with healthcare technology is EHR, maybe to a limited degree, some wearables. But I still think, and we tend to get sort of... Um, proximity bias or blinders, people that are in healthcare technology, I think overestimate how much at least frontline clinical workers understand, embrace, are aware of a lot of the healthcare technology that's out there. I think that will change, particularly as a younger generation comes along, gets out of training. But I think there's still a huge swath of frontline clinicians that don't have a huge awareness of healthcare technology, digital health, particularly in the community if you're outside a, a major academic institution where a lot of this work is done. Mm. Do you think there's benefit in more clinicians having an open mind to utilizing technology or can it be going down a rabbit hole or be overly distracting for them? No, I think so. I, there's no question that healthcare as an industry is behind most industries in terms of adoption of technology and, and not leveraging it to help us do better and more efficiently. But I think that's the question. How do you make sure the technology that we're using is making things better and more efficient, not putting a layer that's slowing down your, your workflow or creating more work for you? I think that's been the experience with EHRs and maybe colored the conversation a little bit and made your average clinician resistant to technology. And I think that's the challenge for or any company that's bringing technology into healthcare is to make sure that it's enhancing what's being done. It's not destroying workflows or creating more work or being perceived as creating more work because that's just a recipe for non-adoption. And you know, it's a barrier to adoption for a lot of these platforms. And building on that a bit further and then thinking about 
the very big organizations, big tech and big retail, those that, you know, 10, 15 years ago didn't really have a place in healthcare. Some would argue don't really have a place in healthcare now either. But like some people predict that every company one day will become a healthcare company. Do you think that's a, a realistic eventuality to all of this? It seems like a lot of companies, just about every company has some sort of interest in healthcare. Look, it makes sense, right? Here in the US, it's a $4 trillion market. And when you've grown to the point that you know Google or Apple or Microsoft or even Amazon or Walmart have grown, and you look at, well, how do we continue to grow our business? What's an untapped area that we can grow into? Certainly, healthcare is a huge opportunity for these companies to continue to grow their business. And, and healthcare weaves into a lot of what we do in our daily lives. So I think that interest will continue to be there. I think there's been some fits and starts. So we've seen Google pull back. We've seen Apple have their struggles. We've seen Walmart sort of start to go all in on physical locations and seemingly back off on that a little bit. You know, Amazon was a part of Haven and they, Haven fell apart, but Amazon seems to be going along uh, with their own plan with Amazon Care. So I think they'll continue to dabble. I wonder if it'll get to a point where they decide it's just not worth the effort and you'll have some sort of you know healthcare focus or healthcare flavor to what you're doing, but it's not a big focus. I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Google now and the way they've kind of retrenched themselves. Apple has seemingly put a lot of their healthcare efforts on the watch, but it now seems to be kind of retrofitting use cases to the existing product. You know, I think Amazon will continue to plug along. You know, Microsoft is a company that I think quietly is doing things, particularly from a you know Azure and cloud and then data lake and analysis and then buying Nuance, which maybe is a little bit of a smarter approach. I would love to see a big company with a lot of resources maybe try to take a bigger bite of the Apple, no pun intended. But I wonder if they're going to have the appetite for it. And, and at the end of the day, if they're going to discover it's not worth it, because Haven came to that conclusion, I think, pretty quickly of, yeah, look, this is a big problem. We just don't have the appetite to try to tackle right now. Yeah. And I sometimes think about, you know, there's two aspects. There's the consumer wellness and fitness space. And then there's the actual healthcare and medicine side of things, which has, you know, behind the scenes workflow elements. And to me, I get the need to bring the two bits together, but there's this awful kind of chasm in the middle where giving patients visibility of how many hours they slept or what their, you know, pulse is, is one thing, but then trying to then integrate that into an EMR is probably, I don't know, it's all about just value add, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And what is the value add? Is there a value add? Does a clinician really want to know what every single patient's pulse is every single day or, or <laughs> collect that information? What do you do with it? Who's monitoring that? What do you do if there is something mm. concerning, you know, if there's an alert, if somebody is tachycardic or what have you? So yeah, wellness is great. Wearables are great. The question is, does that translate to something clinically meaningful? And I think the jury is still out on that. You know, to their credit, I think Apple has made some effort to try to do things that are more beyond the wellness and more clinically relevant with the watch and you know heart rhythm tracking and maybe fall detection and some of the other things they seem to be doing. So I think they're trying to do that. How successful it's going to be remains to be seen. But again, that continued to evolve over time as the technology becomes better. I feel like this is the right time to bring up, let's go further down this rabbit hole and I'm going to bring up the metaverse and Web3 because that's going to transform everything in the world apparently. And the question of healthcare's position in the metaverse is one that I'm going to say the jury's still definitely out on. Do you think healthcare has a place in this evolving world and all the excitement of Web3 and the metaverse? 
I think so. I think, again, because healthcare is so far behind the technology push normally, I think it's going to be slower. I do some work with a, a company that's doing some virtual reality surgical training and education, which I think is really cool and will come along. I think there's challenges here, certainly in the U.S., of making sure that patients have access to technology. So, you know, the best technology and all these cool and exciting things that are coming along in the metaverse and Web3 may not be accessible to everybody. I think we have to be mindful of that and not take the human element out of it either. I think patients clearly want the human element. I think we've got a little bit of a skewed viewpoint because of the pandemic and things becoming more virtual by necessity that they are underestimate how much the human connection is still important and overestimate how much sort of virtual, more hands-off care is or how important that is to your average patient. And I think your average clinician, you know, doesn't necessarily understand Web3 and the metaverse as it is right now. Yeah. And I think that that as a broad term can create a lot of dissonance and confusion, throwing around terms like Web3 and the metaverse. However, like you suggested too, and, and mentioned, there's been some good examples and good use cases of, say, virtual reality in whether it's clinician training or even from a patient's point of view too. So there's probably aspects of this that have been coming through for a while that I think we'll just have to put up with the hype for a little bit longer and, and focus on the doing as opposed to the big fluffy statements. Yeah, no, I think it's great to push things forward and, and to not be complacent and embrace these technologies, but to do it in, in a thoughtful manner and not go overboard and not you know, overhype it and, and then find out there's no substance there. Because that's something we definitely don't need at this point in time with healthcare. We get enough of that already. I mean, we need actual solutions, things that are going to make an impact and a change and not just you know unfulfilled hype and promise. Yeah, yeah. I remember that a couple of years ago with, and there's still a lot of it now, but in terms of blockchain and healthcare. So that was the big thing a couple of years ago about how blockchain will likely then solve all the problems around interoperability and everything will be accessible. Everyone gets to own data. And in theory, that's great. But, you know, there's still fax machines. There's still a lot of kind of basic things to, yeah. to resolve. It's just, it's slow and it takes time. And, and in healthcare, you know, we love to stick to the way that we used to do things because it seems to work and, and we're very mindful mindful of disrupting what we're doing, you know, because it's just, it, it's scary. You know, we're traditionalistic and we like to do what's familiar and what's worked in the past for better or worse. Talk to me about the funding landscape in the US for healthcare, the fee-for-service versus value-based care, because here in Australia, often the conversation goes down the line of, well, for there to be positive change and innovation in healthcare, we need to move away from this episodic and fee-for-service type model and move to more value-based healthcare or outcomes-based funding. What are your views around that whole discussion of fee-for-service versus value-based care? Yeah, I think it's a place for both. We call it value-based care. That's a very popular term that gets thrown around a lot. I think it's there's no consensus in terms of what exactly that means. How do you define value? Is it value for the patient? Is it value for the provider? Is it value for the insurance company? Is it value for... The, you know, the system, the community as a whole. So there's a lot of different ways to define value. I think one of the challenges we've had with value-based care here in the U.S. is 
a lot of times it devolves into this race to the bottom where you've kind of squeezed all the blood out of the stone. And as a provider, it's hard to continue to be successful in that system when you've improved everything to the point that you can possibly improve it. And then the sort of the, the reimbursement gets squeezed out of it to the point that you can no longer afford to stay in that system. So I think we have to have a value-based system that's fair to everybody that's involved with it. We have to clearly define what value means. We have to realize that it's not a one-size-fits-all, that there's a lot of variability within that system. So I think we'll figure out our way through it. I think we need to evolve these models, but to make sure there's an open dialogue and make sure all the stakeholders have a say and and have input on what is defined as value. I don't think fee-for-service is inherently evil, as a lot of people seem to think, that it incentivizes all these bad behaviors. Certainly it can. I like to believe that at least there are some ethical physicians out there that still try to do the right thing and that fee-for-service isn't just this incentive for, you know, just more care, more care, and more care. I think there is the ability to have fee-for-service that is a little bit more honest and works and isn't necessarily the root of all evil in healthcare. So again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I think you have to look at each individual situation, but whatever system you create, just make sure it's fair for all involved, but still, you know, delivers great care at a, a reasonable cost. And so just building on that a little bit, because a lot of the conversations we had within the Talking Health Tech community and just, you know, like throwing around problems generally, often the conversation then comes to in the end, well, if a clinician doesn't get paid, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it it all comes back down to funding. So every time we talk about innovation and opportunities that exist, it almost feels like this deterministic, well, hey, the model for funding doesn't exist for this, so it's not going to happen. And the only way that, for example, that telehealth was adopted here in Australia, and I expect globally as well, it, it wasn't COVID necessarily that caused a massive adoption of telehealth. It was the change in the Medicare funding here in Australia that caused the adoption of telehealth, which was because of COVID. So is it as black and white as that? Like the only way that you're going to get innovation in healthcare is to get the funding right? I think it's a definite challenge that all companies face. And, and I talked to a lot of different companies, particularly at early stage, and that's the question or the issue they oftentimes get stuck on of, I've got this great idea, but how do I prove the value proposition? How do I figure out how it gets paid for and who's going to pay for it? Because clinicians aren't going to pay for it unless you can really make a strong case that it's going to increase the revenue. Even improving workflow is difficult to prove. It takes time and, and it's hard to show the money monetary value of that. Is the patient going to pay for it? Well, you know, maybe in some situations D2C could work, but not in a lot of situations. Is the insurance company going to pay for it? Yeah, possibly, but it takes a long time to prove to them the value of it. So at least here in the US, a lot of times it boils down to, well, I'm going to go to an employer because I can prove my value to them and help them on their healthcare spend. And so it seems like you go through these groups and iterations and trying to figure out how it's going to get paid for. And then everyone seems to end up with, well, I just got to go to self-insured employers and that's my way to make my use case. I'll show them I can save them money. I don't think it has to be that way, but I think that's maybe the the quickest or most straightforward path for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Hey, look, starting to close out the conversation and thinking about, you know, we're in 2022. Well, there's a lot of hype and excitement, as we talked about, when it comes to technology and healthcare, but a lot of good that can happen to us. Is there anything exciting and interesting that you're watching that'll have a meaningful impact in healthcare for this year and beyond? Yeah, I think the virtual reality is really interesting to me as a platform, as a way to do a lot of different things within healthcare, particularly training and education around that. 
I think in general, it's not just the technology. I think it's also the innovation. To me, the next phase of this is taking the technology, but applying it to healthcare as it is now and, and really under a broader umbrella of innovation. So technology as a piece of the puzzle to really innovate in healthcare and change the models of care delivery to me is the next phase. It's not just about the technology, but it's really about doing things different and better and new ways of thinking about how to deliver healthcare, you know, practically on the front lines, incorporate technology as a part of that, but not as the, the ends uh, itself. Fascinating. Look, Ben, look, I'm going to put some details uh, in the show notes of this episode for people to connect with you on social media. I always love your perspectives on LinkedIn and people should check that out when they get a chance. Look, I really appreciate you making the time and coming on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Happy.